Parents Pod. Welcome to Pet Parents Pod, the podcast for and by pet parents. I'm Danielle. I'm Heath. I'm Kit. And this week is number one of a two-parter, which I promised was going to be a fun one. So it is. It is. We're going to be talking about the Iditarod race. Whee! Does anyone know what that is? That is the race from that one town to that other town in Alaska with huskies only. Uh, well, dog sleds, but yeah, multiple different types of dogs are used. Not just huskies. Huskies are one of the dogs. Yes. It is from, um, it starts at Albacore and ends at, uh, Knoll, I think. Yeah, Nome. 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 Yeah, Nome, Nome, Nome Alaska. Alaska. So it's basically from one end of Alaska to the other. Mm-hmm. It's a mm-hmm. super long, arduous, multi-week race. It's right. an endurance race of dog sledding and mushing. Um, does anyone know why they do it? Uh, to honor that one time those kids were sick to get the vaccines from that one place to know Incorrect. What? It's not that. That is actually a misconception. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay, so it did occur a few years after that race, but the reason they were... He's got those I wanna do, I want to do a disclaimer, yeah. If you hear uh, there's, you know, there's the sounds of... <laughs> Uh, a crackhead cat <laughs> running around and uh, thumping into various things and destroying our house. That's Oliver. He's very... He, we took him out of the tree. So he's out of the Christmas yeah, he tree. he kept trying to take down the Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. And I Which he has only knocked over once. Has he knocked over the big one? I thought it was just no, the little one. No, I guess he one. hasn't actually knocked he's, it over. He, he climbs only... up in it and joyously... Destroys things. Takes the, 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 the actual, like, round... Ornaments like he takes them away from the head of the ornament, you know, and just leaves them in the hook on the tree and then bats those around the whole house. It's pretty obnoxious. So, mm-hmm. back to the episode. The misconception about the Sur what because here's a spoiler, guys. Next week we are going to talk about the Surum run because it's a really fascinating story. And Balto is. He's not even the main character. He isn't the main character. Yeah. He's one of many characters in it, and it's going to be I really fun. I saw the uh, Willem Dafoe movie. Oh, that Disney w- said it straight. Yeah, yeah, that's actually... Uh, we'll talk about that okay, next we'll week, about oh, because it's really cool. I did actually watch that, too, as research, because it's more accurate than you actually know. Yeah. It's super fucking accurate. Go watch it on Disney+. Plus. I forgot what it's called, but it's it's got sled dogs and Willem Dafoe, and it's on Disney+. Plus. It, it's after... We're not sponsored by Disney+. Plus. It's after Go buy Disney Plus. <laughs> Togo is what it's called because Togo, it's after the lead right. dog from that. Anyway, Fucking don't. Togo. We'll go back to Togo. Togo's okay. cool. No. Put uh, a pin in it. So, Serum Run. The Serum Run ha- did happen before this race. And they actually do. So, the race actually changes routes. One route is a normal freight route that is very common in that area during that time. And then on odd numbers, hang on, let me check this. I have a note about it. What? What is the details, please? So they have on even numbers, they do a different route. So odd numbers of the year. Okay, so odd numbers, they follow the mining or like the route of commerce. Like, and then even numbers, they follow the the route the Surum did take. Mm-hmm. But 
the Surum people and the first few races, they did actually commemorate the efforts of the Surum runners and right. mushers as just an honorary thing. But the reason they actually started doing it is because the year it was started, which was... The race, not the Surum run. Right. The, the, the actual race started... Uh, so the first Iditarod race was in 19 yes okay so the first one was uh in 1973 so around 1973 uh airplanes and stuff were getting a lot more advanced they could survive a lot more winter and snow train technology was a lot better because so wait the race started in 1973 Mm -hmm. dang and didn't the serum run happen in like 19 160 so the sermon was 1925 1925 yeah so they did commemorate so so when i say several years i mean like i didn't have the dates several decades later so in the 1970s Mm. planes were getting a lot better at advance they were able to overcome a lot of the challenges so part and so the creator of the race uh one of the people is um, Joe Reddington Sr. He is a man who lived in Alaska and he wanted to preserve the traditions of um, mushing. Mm-hmm. Mushing uh, and dog sled running was actually starting to fall out of favor and was starting to get kind of erased from history in some ways because the modernization oh, yeah. and industrialization was taking mm-hmm. over. And also, yeah. not only that, but to also preserve the Alaskan Husky, which was also falling out of favor. And the Alaskan- now it's everywhere. Yes. Looping up a storm, shedding everywhere. Because Thank you, the, Game of Thrones. Because the Alaskan Husky is a mix of Siberian Husky and I think Alaskan Malamutes. Yeah, most, mm. we have, I guess we have mostly Siberian Huskies everywhere. Yeah, Siberian Huskies are a... But Alaskan Huskies are a different breed that was specifically... they uh, Like, there's a whole thing about the breeds because different breeds have different things. And then there's mm. also... Indigenous people have their own particular breeds they use that uh, also get mixed in with the population. Wasn't but, that like the the Alaskan Eskimo dog? I'm not trying to be derogatory. I, I genuinely no, I it. I do think that is the name of it. Yeah, um, yeah. it's the thing that Charlie is one percent of. This <laughs> big fluffy white dog. Is Alaskan husky husky is that still a breed or are they? Gone the Alaskan now? husky is still a breed. Oh. Okay. Um, hang on. Let me. Let me find my list of dogs. Okay. Before we go, we're going to go back to that. But uh, yeah, it was... So, it. so, got a little off track because distractions. But I need to know I'm, if they're I'm also psychos. Uh, they are... Uh, also, most mushing dogs are psychos because they have uh, unending energy to run. Um, one of the musher stories true. I read was... Like, someone was talking about what happens if you fall off. Does, like, the sled just stop? And they're like, oh, no, they'll just go on forever, and they aren't going to be worried about me slowing them down. That's what I'm looking at doesn't have crazy eyes. This is better. Yeah. um, (laughs) I'm glad that giant human's gone. Yeah, they they can stop telling me to stop. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, but it was created to preserve the history and maintain the art of mushing because mushing has a long history back to... Basically, the first people who lived in tundra areas. Mm-hmm. Um, the first dog sleds have been dated back to 1000 AD, from what archaeologists can tell. Right. In northern parts of um, Canada and other, like, frozen tundra areas. They probably came over the, what was that called, the Bering Strait? 
Yeah. Because they're Siberian Huskies, so that's mm-hmm. Asian. Mm-hmm. So we come over and then become... Yeah. yeah. Is any of the indigenous people who basically started living in those more remote areas and had to... They had to transplant stuff. They had to travel in the winter. It's still a very big thing. And even um, these... Uh, so the original... So the cargo route that I talked about earlier that they do in the odd years... They that cargo right follows all the um, mining that was done in the area because there was a gold rush in Alaska. There was like a silver rush in Alaska. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that brought people to that area. And part of how they were able to transport stuff was uh, mushers from like indigenous people getting jobs as like transporting things or even as way stations for the mushing route. So there would be like people who had huts in between the mushing route and they would put up the mushers who were traveling, put up the dogs. So there's like all this really rich history in mushing. And did you guys also know that uh, dog sleds were in World War One and Two? Yes, I actually do think I recall that. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, like especially with World War One, you know, it was going to be helpful because World War One was uh, nineteen. 19- 14, 1914. 1914. Yeah. Good lord. So that was before it was, all that. So yeah. World War I was the first introduction. That's when planes actually started being invented. It was the mm-hmm. last World Calvary. Yep, but it, Hawk, yep. Yep. But it also uh, had uh, fronts that were, like, in snow. Mm-hmm. And like, because uh, I think some of the fronts were over in like the Russian area, or yeah, like they were in, kinda in Japan, they were kind of doing some stuff too over there. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. On that side of the world. Oh, I have some interesting <laughs> stories about uh, World War Two, but I'm gonna start with World oh, War One. Right. Yeah, Japan wasn't. That's we're talking about yeah, the. Yeah. For, I'm the great... between the world wars. I'm sorry. I did say one, one and two. <laughs> okay, we're talking about the Great War before yeah. we knew anything else was gonna be happening. So in low uh, mountains and eastern borders of France during like the winter, they a lot of men and horses struggle bringing in supplies, foods, ammunition, and evacuating wounded soldiers. Mm-hmm. And they were like, "Ah, shit!" This so this is in 1914, the first uh, year of the war, if I remember right. And uh, they were like, "Ah, shit! This is really fucked up." And they're like, "It's cool. We'll be done by Christmas," as the great catchphrase. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then as the next <laughs> year started rolling around, the officers were like, "Ah, oh, fuck! The winter's coming again. What the fuck are we gonna do?" And then someone's like, "What about dog sleds?" And everyone's like, "What?" Excuse me, sir. <laughs> dog sleds? Why do we use dog sleds? <laughs> so what they did was they literally trained. Um, they took dogs. And mushers from Alaska. Mm-hmm. And they also uh, had soldiers trained in mushing. Like, they are like, you are going to be part of the special mushing department. And they, like, sent them to Alaska to learn dog sledding, get a bunch of dogs. That and then like they. a sweet deal. Yeah. Yeah. And Aside from the cold, that sounds right. like a really, really cool job. I'm in the mushing division. <laughs> I get to work with dogs now. Yeah. So yeah. they basically flew them That's over really and cool. then transported all these dogs back. And, and people back over to run supplies, ammunition. They also ran wire for telecommunication and helped transported wounded soldiers. I will say, um, this is a war. Right, war. Um, so trigger warning. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. We're about the, to talk about World War One. <laughs> uh, the average death rate for these dogs was about 50%. 
Yeah. But but the Great War was also really like the trench warfare was really horrible. Mm-hmm. These were dogs going out into the front lung to try to bring people food and At least supply. They were doing something useful. Imagine all the the idiots that were trying to discover like chart the North Pole. They mm-hmm. would have mushing dogs, mm-hmm. and they would basically just get lost and eat all their dogs. Like it was just awful. It was a hundred percent dog death rate. But also, <laughs> this was the first war where dogs were actually decorated like human officers. A lot of the dogs oh, won nice. the Crux de Gras, which is Coup a de Crux de Gras. G. Yeah, you can write. Okay. Uh, I, I made my best guess with French where you drop half the Cru, stuff. Crew de Gras? Crew de Gras. Yeah, yeah. Cru. I'm going to say Crew de Gras, right? Yeah, Crew de Gras. Like yeah. cross. Uh, cross de it's cross to do something. It's cross the something. Um, a covenant medal given to soldiers who distinguish themselves as act of heroism during the combat. I'm Googling this, heroism. by the way. Yes, acts of heroism during combat. So these dogs were frontline soldiers with their mushers who went out and retrieved wounded men and uh, brought people food and ammunition to continue fighting. Mm. So that's pretty neat. I didn't know that factor of World War One, and World War One's one of my favorite wars, as we've talked about. And uh, so, World War II. Did you guys know Alaska was under attack during World War II? No. Did anyone fucking know that Alaska was under attack during World War II? Uh, honestly, no. No. Oh, no one fucking did. Also, the government was like, no one's going to mess with Alaska. Then Pearl did Harbor Rus- happened. Did, did Russia just... Japan. It was Japan. It was Japan. So, Japan bombed... Yeah, that sounds about right. Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. And... Jerks. Well, and also complicated issues. Complicated... <laughs> War is complicated, and... We shouldn't have done what we did to them, and then they wouldn't have done the thing they did to us. Exactly. They were on our side in World War One. We actually... Part of the reason Japan turned against us is when they were brought to the table at the treaty mm-hmm. during World War One. we treated them very rudely, mm-hmm. ignored them, mm-hmm. and then they're like, well, fuck you! Yeah. Which, fair, because this is one of yeah. their first major uh, international... I don't think we should have responded the way that we did. The oh, no, and we definitely, definitely shouldn't have nuked You don't them. go nuclear. No, uh, definitely not twice. That was an overreaction. Two, uh, two yeah. civilian locations. When it was supposed to be one military location. Even then, even you, that was bad. But you like, could have. We did so. It was so awful. Wait, I, oh, why didn't they wait, just use regular Japan, bombs? Also, anyway. here's the thing: they could have literally done it to an uninhabited location. Yeah. You know what I, I think? Pants off of them. I would be like, you know what? I'm done. We done. We done. Mm-hmm. Personally, I mean, they weren't. Okay, anyway. 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 We're going to get into the, the Japan-American so, situation. So, let me explain to you, because I've never heard this story either. And, yeah, World War II is very interesting. Everyone's seen a million things on World War II. This yeah. is something I've never even heard of. Yeah, that's So. Crazy. Also, I just want to say, I looked it up. It's not pronounced coup de gras. Well, how is it? It's called Cross of War. I'm not going to try to pronounce it in French. Okay, so. the coup <laughs> Whatever de... war is in French. Coup de gras. It doesn't matter. Dogs got (laughs) exemplary heroes. Okay, so Alaska. So after Pearl Harbor, uh, Japanese started pulling offensive maneuvers against Alaska. When the war started, originally the U.S. thought, oh, Alaska isn't a target because it's a remote area, doesn't lack resources, harsh climate. Boy, were they fucking wrong. Because they started bombing raids in the Dutch Harbor, 
um, which had a number of uninhabited places, and they started occupying uninhabited places on the Aleutian Islands. Aleutian Islands yeah, is my best guess. I think that's correct, yeah. So, the Alaskan National Guard was a uh, Major Melvin Muttuk Marston mm-hmm. decided that leaving Alaska without protection was not a good idea. He set yeah. out to enlist uh, the original force of Alaska, uh, basically natives of Alaska, to defend the territories of over 6,000 miles of coastland. Wee. And it was. There goes the tree. Yeah, there goes the tree. <laughs> okay. um, hang on. Let if me hear a try distraction. Evasive huh. maneuvers. <laughs> no. That didn't work. Dan has a pile of toys to throw to try to distract Oliver. It's not working. The whole tree is shaking. It's hilarious. Okay. Well, I'm going to... God, he's so annoying when he does this. Okay. Well, he's not knocking it. We're going to ignore it. Okay. So, 6,000 miles... Ornaments are plastic. So, this effort Mm. culminated in the formation of the Alaskan Territorial Guard. Mm -hmm. So, inappropriate naming warning. This group came from Alaskans indigenous community. A good chunk of them were indigenous Alaskans who lived in Alaska to defend their territory. Mm. And it also earned the nickname Eskimo Scouts. Yay. Uh, but moving on from that. Mm-hmm. Look, the time, time and place. So, time and place. We know better now. Um, so it took way too long. Yeah. Yes. That was said for quite a long time. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, that was said for so many decades. So, mm. Alaska. one of the reasons Alaska became a main target, it was one of the only sources at the time in the Western Hemisphere where you could mine platinum. Ooh. And platinum was already becoming very useful at the time. So it became a target. Now, uh, so we got uh, Major Marvin Muttuk Marston and um, the Alaskan Governor Ernest Gruen. They set off to recruit and protect homes. So here's the, another fun part. Only 21 of the members of Alaskan Territorial Guard were paid members. More than 6,300 volunteers, addition to the 23 paid, defended Alaska during World War II. Now, this is very like, ooh, they really should have probably paid this people. Mm-hmm. I will say, um, from what I did find, I can't find a date from the article I read, but later after the war, these members were recognized as World War II veterans and received eligible benefits. So, weren't paid during, were received after, don't have a date, don't know how long this was, don't know how many people were able to take benefits, but it was good they got recognized. Hey, better late than never. Yeah. So, one of the reasons all these people volunteer is the local indigenous Alaskans were way more suited for the work as lifelong hunters and trackers of the um, area that they had intimate knowledge of land and climate. And guess how they used to travel this land and climate? Dug sleds. Dark sleds. Dug sleds. Hey. Along with that, by the way, uh, they had uh, they had 27 women who served mostly as nurses in this group, but one woman was actually um, one of the first active duty combatants. She was a nurse. And then they're like, hey, yo, we're under attack. 
can you come out here? You're better shot than most of us. She's like, let me grab my rifle. Someone hold the bleeding. (laughs) And she was pulled into active duty because of her combat, uh, like her really good sharp shooting. And she's not a doctor, so do no harm is fine. Yeah. So she was one of the first people officially... She was one of the first women in an army official capacity to be in active combat. So that's pretty neat. Um, That's great. Wow. So, dog sledding. Also, not only this, these weren't the only dogs used in the war. We interrupt this program to bring you an important message from our sponsors. Well, not sponsors per se, but it is time to pay the vet bills. Pet Parents Pod now has a website, PetParentsPod.com, where you can go and learn about all the different ways to support the podcast. We also have a Patreon now. There's a link to that as well, along with all of our socials, a Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. It's going to be Patreon.com slash PetParentsPod. Anything and everything can help. We would appreciate your support. PetParentsPod.com also lists that we are a BarkBox affiliate, so any special offers that we have, which will be effective during certain date ranges that are listed, are going to be on that page. There's a link to BarkBox under the Ways to Support page on the website. We also want to remind everyone that regardless of whether other special offers are going on, anytime you subscribe to BarkBox using the link BarkBox.com slash PetParentsPod, you can get free extra month of BarkBox for your subscription. If you enjoy our content, spread the word, tell your friends and family that are also animal lovers. Now back to your regularly scheduled episode. So, no, they, yet again, oh, back in France during the winter, they're like, ah, shit, moving stuff is hard. And so they hired yet again another group from New Hampshire this time. So New Hampshire, actually, the Maine and New Hampshire have a really big um, dog sledding community. Little known fact. And because Alaska was busy dealing with their own shit, Maine and New Hampshire are like, hey, we're going to we're going to go to I think they had a bunch of people training in they like took them to Montana or something and did another bunch of crash course training people as mushing and dog sleddings. And they actually had a problem with this because the soldiers who were hired were not the best at keeping their team. So mushing dogs are working dogs. They are like very important, very cared for, very loved, but they're not treated like pets because they're working dogs. Yeah. They had a really big trouble with the soldier mushers they were training, treating them like pets. Right. Well, that's their buddy. Yeah, that's their buddy. Yep. So, uh. Gonna give them all kinds of treats. Yep. You want a snack, buddy? You can have some of this steak. <laughs> so they did actually use these dogs uh, to help run telephone wire and for social communication, but their primary task was actually search and rescue and uh, finding lost pilots who went down in areas and also transportation uh, in remote areas for wounded and also finding lost equipment and helping drag it because um let's see here i don't see it they like talked about like the amount a dog could move versus like a horse or a a train in a certain weather but i don't see my note on it so we're just moving on they were oh here we go never mind i two seven dog teams could do the work of five horses in formidable terrain Hmm. you just need two teams of dog sleds and they could do the work of five horses basically so that was pretty useful for the conditions now um the prototype team was eight dogs per team on a spare of uh eight foot to 31 inch toboggan the harnesses were about 
one inch made of cotton or wool. Uh, sometimes they would have ski patrol soldiers accompanying these dog teams. And they did train out in Montana. And the common problem was the lack of discipline training the dogs as pets. Mm-hmm. Uh, over, but besides all that, over 200 dog sled teams were trained and sent out to Canada and the Arctic for res- search and rescue missions. And uh, they actually, the men and dogs who search and rescued this thing retrieved per approximately 150 survivors, 300 casualties, and millions of dollars worth of equipment lost in World War II. So wow. they were a very successful team at what they did. And so all this history in mushing was what the Iditarod race was created to remember. Yeah. Remember, yeah. So the CERN run is part of that because it was a, is a, the CERN run is one of those stories in history, which is an incredible act of generosity and kindness and sacrifice. Exactly. And selflessness is like truly a a great story, which is why it's going to get its own episode because Mm -hmm. it truly is like people doing a heroic task. But mushing is this interesting history of one. It's a long history of indigenous people and culture and teaching that's passed on from humans to humans. And it's a interesting bond of uh, dogs and man, because literally part of mushing is you have to trust that your lead runner can run when you can't see. Because sometimes you're going in the dead of night, sometimes you're going in a blizzard, and at that point you literally are like, well, I'm just hanging on, and my dog knows where to go. So mush, well, that's the, that's, if you have a good team, that's the idea, is you can trust your team to be led when you can't see. Like, Mm -hmm. mushing dogs are very intelligent and very, like, interesting animals. Like, they're a position of working dog that is very unique it reminds me also of um herd dogs who are left out on their own with their animals Mm -hmm. and you can trust them that they will keep everyone together and safe and not like be weird and violent and attack your own sheep so it they're they're an interesting working animal um but also it's a so you want some cool famous first i think kip was gonna say that oh go ahead oh you didn't you weren't no. Okay. okay. No. Well, I was going to say, like, the uh, the race is um, definitely successful because we're aware of mushing aside from, like, movies like Ball 2. Yeah, yeah, we are. Uh, it's So let's talk about the race itself. The first half of the race, it starts at Anchorage. It starts at Anchorage every year. It goes from Campbell Airstrip, Willow, Yen- Yetna, Yetna Station, Shreventna, Finger Lake, Rainy Pass, Ro- Rohan Rohaust, Nikolai, McGrath, Tokona, and Ofnen. Mm-hmm. Um, in the odd number of years, the middle part of the race largely follows the original trail from Ofna to Iditarod, where it gets its name, yep. um, through uh, Sh- uh, Shagluk, Anvik, Grayling, Eagle Island, to Kaltag. In even years, it swings north from Ofen to Krimble, Ruby, heart of a old mining district. So it's like an abandoned ghost town that used to be a mining district the um, dog sleds would run out of. Um, Ganal, New, New Lato, and on to 
call tag. So that's the middle of the race that alternates between odd and even years. And then from call tag, the home stretch every year is, okay, mm-hmm. una lock leet, mm-hmm. uh, shalk, tuk, leek, ku, yuk, liam, ilim, go, loven, white mountain, safety roadhouse, and gnome. When Nome is like the furthest reach out from Alaska. And if people haven't seen it, I'm going to try to do a map version in the splash so you guys can see the really, like, how massive this route is because it is crazy. How many miles is it? Uh, hang on. I was about to bring that up. I have to go to a link. This is uh, from Anchorage to Nome. The average relay distance is 674 miles. Dang. Jeez. Yeah. How many days does it no, normally last? Uh, this can go... So I can give you some cool... Uh, so the first year, the first year's winner in 1973 was won by uh, Dick uh, Wilmarth. And his time was 20 days oh and an, almost an hour. Wow. Um, the short, let me see. They have stuff on like sh- the shortest too. Let me see here. Have people died on this? Um, people have gotten injured. I think there are deaths. Oh my God. Um, hang on. The fastest ever competition was in 2017 by, uh, Mitch, uh, Sevi. And he d- managed to finish it in eight days three hours and 40 minutes um in the more modern times it looks like it's gone down to like nine days well that's good um shorter is better for everyone's lives the closest finish in history were was in 1978 between dick mackey and rick swanson dick mackey beats rick swelson by one second. So oh they were literally god. neck and neck. Oh, oh my god. To go all that way and finish second by a second. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So in <laughs> 19- or to win. Was that like to a photo win. finish? Yeah, oh I don't god. know. I imagine it was, uh, but I don't know. I wasn't there. Um, I mean, I guess that might have been enough ahead like that it was apparent to everyone. One of the because cl- a second could actually be fairly significantly. One of the really cool ones is, um, so this is the first female winner of the Iditarond race, and mm-hmm. it was in 1985. Liddy Riddles, I actually looked up on that thing, because she, the reason she won is she was at a checkpoint, and they were like, well, there's a storm coming in, and she's like, I could do that. She's like, so she, she, shit. So she <laughs> literally bra- braved a really bad blizzard in order to get a head start. Yeah. She, like... You know why? Because she's fucking tough as shit. Yeah, um, hang on. And I bet you she was on her period, too. <laughs> Fuck everyone. Fuck everyone. Okay. Um, that's... <laughs> Have we decided this is a children's show yet? I, can't I don't remember. There's too much cursing, so. technically. But I don't think so. We're overall uh, okay. You know, high schoolers can listen to this. Yeah. Uh, it's fine. It's up to you to Those decide technically what kids. You know what? Every high schooler I know knows way more about serial killers than I do, so it's fine. <laughs> they all listen to true crime now. Generally, the worst thing that we're saying is, is curse words. That's yeah. not really that bad. Yeah, so she basically went, they got to a checkpoint, there was a bad storm coming in, and she's like, hey guys, you want to go? And they're like, yeah. And she rode through the night in a blizzard 
and she got like a day's head start on everyone else. Um, mm-hmm. and her finish time, I gotta scroll. Hang on. How dare you accidentally back out of your source? Um, so her finish time was 18 days and 20 hours and 17 minutes. And uh, another neat uh, one was Rick Swelson. You know the guy who uh, got second place? Yeah. He got his revenge because he has been the only five-time winner of the Iditarod Run. <laughs> you know what? He must have been on his period. <laughs> <laughs> so 1991 becomes the first and only five-time winner of the Iditarod race so far. That's mm-hmm. impressive. Um, 1992, Martin Busser of Switzerland became the first non-U.S. musher to win the I Did Ron run. Wow. Yeah. Where are they from? Switzerland. Oh, Switzerland. Of Switzerland becomes the first, yeah. My bad. And in 1996, Jeff King became the first musher to complete the race in under 10 days. But Mitch Swavey uh, beat the record in 2017, as we uh, mentioned. And there's another neat first, um, Susan Butcher became the first multi-time winner, uh, multi-time female winner in 18, in 1987. Sorry, I was going back in time. Nice. But yeah, no, it has a lot of interesting people and stories. And another weird controversy that happens, do you know some people, like, try to picket this race as, like, animal cruelty? I can see that. Yeah. They're like, this is dangerous, and you shouldn't do this. I mean, yeah, it is dangerous, but, like, you can't put yourself in a bubble. Like, the dogs are happy doing it. Yeah. That's what they're built for. Have you seen a husky in a living room? It's going crazy. So, I have a list of rules that they literally have to enforce for the race. And this is only a handful of rules, by the way, from the 2009 Iduron Manual. This is not Mm -hmm. like a janky little race. No. And make sure your dogs die. Don't feed them the whole time. So, (laughs) here's an interesting rule. Rule number two in the manual. No one convicted of a charge of animal abuse or neglect as such defined under Alaskan law may enter the Iduron Trail sled race. So, rule number two, you fuck with animals, get the fuck out of our race. I mean, that's pretty right. basic, but I am glad it's rule number two. There's also a specific list of mandatory breaks. So, you remember when I talked about, like, uh, how back in the day on all these runs, uh, for supply runs, there'd be, like, way stations and stop houses? So, they follow that same pattern, and they have certain breaks that you have to do. Mm-hmm. And on those breaks, they actually have veterinarians at the Good. designated checkpoints to check over the dogs and Good. give them. Um, so, they have specific times and interviews. They have to, uh, to take mandatory breaks. The toboggan itself must be structured to carry any injured or fatigued dog. And that's another thing, mm-hmm. is if a dog is considered fatigued, they either wait at the weighhouse for their racer to come back for them, right. or they get loaded on the toboggan to not have to run, but they are, Good. like, race... Uh, yeah, they also... They're, they're done. I do like yes. that there is a veterinary checkup built into it. Several yeah, veterinary checkpoints. Yes. Perfect. Multi. Yes. Also, awesome. booties are required for your dog's feet. And it. you must have backups at all times. So I if your it. dog rips a booty, you gotta have a backup in your toboggan. I love That's, it. That, there's there's a product called like Musher's Wax mm-hmm. that you're supposed to put on the pads of your dogs for winter time because yeah. like 
We yeah, actually they're snow dogs, but yeah. you still need to protect. We, just like we have that too, but I can, yeah. the boots would be better than that. Yeah, well, because, I'm, I'm sure they the, double it up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 because there is a chance they'll run through it. Um, mm-hmm. So veterinarians yeah. the, keep the a wax wo- is just a layer that's good for um, you know when it gets a super cold. Animal, not for like when you're running a flood race. You yeah, know, but you want actual like boots. I, I think the musher, but I could see like during downtime oh, yeah. yeah yeah that's no, what no, i'm no, saying yeah, double yeah, yeah. it up yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 no i agree with that um so at the veterinarian checkpoints each veterinarian keeps a notebook with detailed recorded responses in order to follow back if anything goes wrong rules even go as far to disqualify or withdraw any aggressive dogs at the time so if your dogs aren't well behaved you can get kicked out of the race um and mushers whose conduct constitute unreasonable risk of harm to him her uh, slash him slash her dogs or other persons will be withdrawn um rule 37 uh there's a distinct guideline of dog care including there will be no cruel or inhumane treatment of dogs cruel or inhumane treatment involves any action or inaction that causes preventable pain or suffering to your dog Although dog fatalities are possible and clear in the manual, they are treated with uh, uh, precedence and investigation. Good. So there, this this race is um, because these are working animals. People die. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mushers die. Mushers and their yeah. animals die doing this. That was it's part. Dangerous. It's a dangerous thing. You're going out for hundreds of miles in very harsh secluded environment. harsh environments these dogs well bred for these harsh environments i have some crazy stories from the serum run where i was like i didn't even think about that being a issue mm-hmm. that became an issue that caused fatality in dogs so yeah. th- this is not an easy race but it's like any sort of extreme like people who climb those crazy mountains on their own like there's a risk of like death and dying mm-hmm. um yeah. and these dogs are also like Part of what they're bred to do, we've talked about how breeding isn't exactly, like, this is a particular, the reason they're bred is not to be, like, I'm really cute or I'm, like, this thing. It's, like, to survive these harsh climates, to do this very specific job that when there is a blizzard, planes can't get through. But, like, remote locations and towns and villages still need shit. Yeah. Like, as we're going to cover in the CERM run they serve a very important purpose in these remote locations so it is important to maintain the 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 the, it's just a very important thing to maintain the safety of these dogs and i think iduneron race has done a really cool job of preserving the history because i was able to find a lot of these things from their actual website or linking to articles about the iduneron run and like this is a very fascinating subject that I think people should look into. Yeah. Yeah. Um, does anyone have... I'm trying to think, because I feel like there was more. Uh, the only other random topic, uh, one of the first times I actually heard more about the Iditarod run is um, UConn vet. Actually, she got to be one of the vets at one of the checkpoints. Whoa. And they, they recorded that episode, and it was real cool because she's like, oh, this dog's pads, like, something, like, broke into its boots, so you guys gotta, and, like, it was very interesting listening to the mushers because, like, the mushers went from, like, very serious to, oh, wait, my dog has to rest? Okay, yeah, let's let's take him, let's get the backup dog, let's change my order. Like, they take it very seriously, and I know this is all people being recorded, so best behavior on film, but, like, 
this is obviously like a very prestigious race to be part of. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's uh, you know, it is all fun and games in the end. So if it's like you know if if the dog is tired, then the dog rests because it's not. It's serious, but it's not so serious that, you know, we need to push the dogs because they're just, it's supposed to be fun, you know. Yeah. And, I mean, it does make, uh, do you want to know the purse of the very first race? The what who? The very first Iditarod race. Uh, yeah. Uh, the so, of the very first Iditarod race? No, this is the very first Iditarod race, uh... The purse of it, like how much money they oh, made the from it. Okay, gotcha. that's what we're yeah. asking. We oh, hear we couldn't said. hear that. Okay, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, the purse was uh, fifty-one hundred thousand five one zero zero zero. Zero zero zero. So fifty-one thousand. Okay, fifty. I always get confused. What, what year I, was I, that? I did. Uh, this is uh, nineteen seventy-three. And this Dang. race attracted fifty-one thousand in nineteen seventy-three money. Yes, you can and, buy a house for you and your family. That's a lot of money back This then. attracted 34 mushing teams, and only 22 reached the finish line. Did anyone die that year? Oh, uh, they don't say. I bet somebody died. <laughs> they don't say Someone my art. died. Maybe. I, that would have to attract some people that were not that experienced. Like, mm-hmm. not experienced enough to be doing this. Mm-hmm. You know? Because that's a lot of money. Oh, also, I got the mileage wrong, because I realized, uh, so... So the um my so the actual mileage is over a thousand miles. The number I read, which I just saw the number and it looked correct, uh, the distance from Ninana to Nome, which is where the original um Suram run was six hundred seventy four miles, but from but then you add in the miles from Anchorage to Ninana. So it's over a thousand. It's over a thousand miles. Jesus. So just minor correction, and also remember minor correction. Adding four hundred more miles. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I I, I gave sorry. I didn't give the dogs enough credit. I apologize. Also remember, I'm an amateur researcher. Yeah. I Google yeah. a lot. If anyone has notes, hey, if there's a dinner on a uh, musher who wants to get on the pod and set me straight, uh, that please. That would be amazing. That'd be fucking you cool. Do an interview please, for the pod? Us. Yeah. please educate me. I would love to hear your heroic tale of uh, yeah. how you survived even if you didn't win anyone who would run that I race I know that they would view it as survival if they participated <laughs> in it I mean, but I if mean, you want to I don't know if I had to run a thou- if I had to ride a dog sled for over a thousand miles in the freezing ass cold through really harsh weather in yes. remote environments I would say I survived Personally, as someone who's not yeah. like super outdoorsy, we, or we would love to interview you for the podcast. But no, That'd that was this is my first of a two-part series about how mushing dogs are really fucking cool. And does anyone else have any questions I could try to answer from? Well, my- I kind of want to mention because I was looking up Alaskan Huskies because when I was just googling it, it didn't come up as like one of the breeds, you know. I have notes in the other episode about them. Okay. Because... Well, I was going to say, because they don't have breed standards. They don't have breed standards. I have a whole thing, because um, Siberian Huskies were actually 
when mushing started, Siberian huskies, like Siberian, we're gonna get an old. Well, if we're gonna get into that, in the yeah. So we can't. I was gonna bring up what I. You was can finding. bring just bring up what you found, and it can be a teaser. Okay. Well, this is just from vetstreet.com. Okay. Because um, there aren't that many websites that I. Well, I don't know. I did a very cursory search. That's fine. Um, but it was just saying it's a, a, you know, it's a various blend of Nordic breeds, uh, mm-hmm. depending on the breeder preferences needs for the sled dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's not based at all on just aesthetics. It's, for, you know, they're a working dog. And uh, a lot of the time they'll use like different spitz types. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, it's a working dog, so you're going to want to give it, you know, things to do. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting that it doesn't have any breed types, so they can look very different. Yeah. Um, they also have different categorization. Yeah, like they do their different speed, jobs. Freight, freight dogs, dogs. Heavy loads, sprinters, mm-hmm. um, stamina ones. Yeah, so I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of individual breeders, which actually we're going to talk about in our next episode, a very famous individual breeder who is a very focal point of the... Uh, serum run race which we're gonna get into it's gonna be fun um but if no one else has anything we'll wrap this up if Heath will tell people where we can find unless I'm cutting anyone off no no great so Heath where can folks find us and you can find us on petparentspod.com um if you have friends and family that like animals which I bet you do you should tell them about us and uh you can also find us on Instagram Twitter Facebook and Discord email us at petparentspod at gmail.com and as always, we will continue to get better as I'm swarmed by cats. Uh, stay warm out there, folks. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.